We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the 1991 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed of to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, you know, don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back! Good morning. Happy Monday, Hornets fans. This is Richie, and welcome to another Buzzbeat. If you missed out on the last episode, we had the full crew together where Lee, Spencer, Brian, and myself got together following that first loss against the Heat and recapped that game, but mostly spent time answering some big picture questions from our Substack chat, including trade chatter and how the Hornets should approach Kai Jones's minutes, among other things. It was technically a BuzzBeat Plus exclusive episode, but we were nice enough to release it in an abbreviated form on the regular feed as well. As we've mentioned before, take a look at buzzbeat.substack.com to see how you can get your hands on some of those perks of BuzzBeat Plus, like that full episode that I'm referencing there. On today's episode, I wanted to get into some quick-hitting topics including LaMelo's debut, talk about some of the trends that I've been seeing and keep an eye on, and then just end with something a little bit fun where I'm going to tier the Hornets players and the impact that they've had after the first 14 games of the season on a site called Tier Maker, which I'm sure a lot of you guys have maybe seen before they've done it with like foods and candy and cereals and stuff like that, but you can go on there and create your own template, and I'm going to do that to end the episode. But let's start with the second Heat game, the one from Saturday night. Uh, The bad news is that the Hornets have extended their losing streak to eight games, which is the longest in the NBA. The good news, if you want to call it that, we did see the return of LaMelo Ball, and... As he returned to the lineup and getting his footing and getting his uh, stamina built up, he looked decent. He definitely looked like he was close to 100%, if not 100% in terms of the way that he was moving. 
the biggest thing that Charlotte just couldn't overcome on Saturday night was the cutting of the Miami Heat. The Heat are probably a top five, top three cutting team in the NBA. Jimmy Butler is obviously very good at cutting. And then they just kind of throw all those types of role players at you. And someone like Max Struess, for example, because he's such a good three-point shooter, he can use his gravity from the three-point line to have opponents be over-aggressive with the way that they defend him. And then he can just cut back door for baskets. And, and we saw a lot of that on Saturday night. Uh, I thought the free throw attempts, they weren't necessarily like a crazy discrepancy, but that's another thing that the Heat had an advantage in. And especially in the third quarter where they made their biggest run and extended that lead because the Hornets did have a halftime lead. Third quarter was the difference maker. And it just was an onslaught of the Miami Heat scoring bucket after bucket. Jimmy Butler got to the line and he had five points from the free throw line in that quarter alone. That accounted for half of his points in the third. Also, when you have... Max Struess and Gabe Vincent scoring 51 points. You aren't going to win many games. Vincent seemed to give the Hornets some issues in that game with his drives, and he actually like bullied Book Knight on one drive where he just lowered his shoulder just a little bit, created a little bit of contact there, uh, but that contact was able to power his way all the way to the rim and create enough separation to where he could get off a shot it's it's always those types of players, and the Heat are filled with them on their roster in terms of these role players that just seem to step up when they do play the Charlotte Hornets. In terms of the positives, I just wanted to touch upon four players on the Hornets in this game before I get to some of the big picture stuff. And I'll do this briefly because it's it's never fun to highlight positives in a loss but that's what we've had to do recently. So let's start with LaMelo because he had his debut regular season, first game. So LaMelo played 28 minutes, which will obviously have to be upped, and it will as he gets more games under his belt. His shooting from deep was off, only hit one of nine shots from behind the arc. Some of those shots were were fine. They were within the flow or late in the shot clock, but he's certainly a volume shooter. Like, there are times where they aren't necessarily within the flow of the offense and they don't necessarily get the ball moving and he will just jack up a shot from deep. And we, we've seen that from the course of his young career. And and, that, and that's going to come with time, but also you got to take the good with the bad with LaMelo. I thought his floater was working and his ability to drive, collapse the defense and find his teammates. That was a nice sight to see. He finished with six assists and 15 assist points. My favorite was in the first quarter where the Heat were in his own, which they played a good bit both in the first game, but also this game on Saturday. And it was late in the first quarter. Hornets were kind of slowly creeping back into this game. He split the defenders at the top, got the attention of about three or four of the Heat players. And he made this like kickout pass as he was fading across the court to McDaniels for a corner three. And the most impressive part was that he was able to get enough power on it as he was jumping and leaning the opposite direction 
And it's almost as if he came off of his like off foot to do that and to see McDaniels open because I think Richards also was was making a cut towards the basket. So maybe LaMelo in his mind, because he can make such quick decisions, he maybe looked at Richards first to see if he would have an ability to get to the rim in stride. But then he saw out of the corner of his eye, McDaniels, which was obviously a farther pass to make. Some of that stuff that he does on a nightly basis, you know, I've gotten used to, but it's still so impressive. He still doesn't get to the rim enough for me. Um, Clifford talks about him drawing fouls and stuff like that, but he's never going to do that if he doesn't pick his spots. I think in Saturday's game against the Heat, he just, I don't, I don't really remember him getting to the rim all that much. Uh, but it's nice having him back and he just makes some of the nights where the Hornets do end up losing a little bit more enjoyable and a little bit more fun to watch. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Jalen McDaniels, as I mentioned before, who made that three off my favorite assist of the night, I thought he had a very underrated game. He got to the rim at a pretty good rate, had a couple of nice like finger roll finishes at the hoop. I think he even did it with both hands. Like One of them was a right-hand finish. One of them was a left-hand scoop. He didn't shoot a ton, and that's not his game by any means, but I started thinking about this earlier which players will benefit the most from having LaMelo. And if there is one player that I'm thinking about on this team that would benefit from the return of LaMelo Ball, I think Jalen has to be in the conversation just because 
he's a guy that, like we've mentioned, is a low usage guy. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to be successful. And if he can move and cut and scrap, LaMelo is going to find ways to get him shots in the flow of the offense, get him shots that are open looks. And then again, if he can just find ways here and there, even when he is asked or called upon to dribble the ball and he can get a little bit stronger, a little bit better with that, that straight line driving, don't ask too much of him. You couple that with the off-ball movement and the offensive rebounds and just playing next to a guy like LaMelo, I think he's going to be one of the biggest players on this team that benefits from the presence of LaMelo. Now, he's definitely not the only one. I think you could probably point to maybe P.J. Washington and Nick Richards and players like that, but that guy right there, Jalen McDaniels, is someone that I think that would not a lot of people would think about when it comes to the return of LaMelo in terms of how his game might be uh, upped a little bit. Oubre uh, had a good game too as well. I think he still has his moments this season where he's been up and down, but I actually think he's been a little bit more steady this season. Again, that's not to say that he hasn't been inconsistent by any means. He's also had a larger role this year, so that plays a factor with you know, others being out and him having to take more shots and be more of a prominent role. You know, his attempts are up from almost everywhere on the court. He's getting to the rim a little bit more on drives. He's actually been relatively decent from the long mid-range this season. He's upped his attempts from the mid-range from 1.9 attempts per 75 possessions to 4.4 attempts per 75 possessions this season. On the game, he finished with 20 points, six of those coming at the rim, six of those points coming from the mid-range, and he also finished with eight rebounds against the Heat. And then the last player I want to mention is Terry Rozier, who finished with 22 points, six assists, and just one rebound, which, as I was watching the game, I thought would have been more, mostly because over the course of his career, he has been a good rebounding guard, especially in those early seasons with Boston. He, like Ubre, has had to carry a little bit more of a load this season. And because of that, because there's been lo- no Lamella, because there have been chunks of the season where Hayward has been out, that's just resulted in more dribbles and more time on the ball, more attempts, lower efficiency, all that type of stuff. You know, it's been necessary with the lack of creation that this team has had. So I don't fault him for that by any means. But I think when it's all said and done, uh, you can always count on Rozier to compete. And overall, I think he has been on an upward trend over the past three or four games. So those are some good signs of life from uh, Terry Rozier in this game. So before I get to my tears, I wanted to throw a couple of trends that have caught my eye over the course of this season. First one I want to mention, and I made a slight mention of this on the last podcast, the clutch offense and the half-court offense, because I do think those go hand-in-hand. They don't always go hand-in-hand, but for this team specifically, I think they go hand-in-hand. The Hornets have played the fourth most amount of minutes in the clutch this season, which by NBA's definition is defined by a game within five points and under five minutes left to play. So the Hornets have been in that situation a lot this season. And we talked about them being competitive, which they 
depends on how you want to argue that. They've been somewhat competitive. They've been in games. They've lost games that they you could probably look at and say, hey, they probably should have won. But 41 minutes this season that they've been in clutch time, the top minute team in clutch time this season is 43 minutes. So they're, they're really just two minutes behind the Cavs where they lead the league there. So, But the issue or the, the more telling statistic in the clutch are some of the shooting numbers and getting open looks. 23rd in the NBA in field goal percentage. 20th in the NBA in three-point percentage. And then this one to me is the most glaring, the most problematic. 27th in the league in clutch time free throw percentage at 68%. That's not something that you can say, hey, there's a defender in your way and you're having to worry about that. I'm, obviously, there's pressure involved, but you know these guys are professional players and missing, missing gimmies from the free throw line, not a good look, not a good look. And on top of all this, when it comes to plus minus in these 41 minutes of play and clutch situations, the Hornets are a negative 27, which is 28th in the league. So when they do get into these situations, they tend to fall apart. In these high leverage situations, when things slow down and you need someone to get you a bucket, you need an offensive set to be drawn up to where there is spacing created for players and good looks and good options, multiple options. That's where the half court stuff comes into play. And that's where we have seen the issues. And so I'm just going to transition right into half court offense. In terms of the percentage of plays from the half court, the Hornets are seventh in the league in terms of the percentage of plays. When it comes to how many points they score per play in the half court, so they're they're a high volume team of half court offense, but they're 27th in the league when it comes to points per play. Where they were really good last season was off steals, off live rebounds, even off of makes. They were number one in the NBA in points per play off of steals. And transition in general, like I just mentioned, was was very good under Borrego. That's something that he stressed. That's something that uh, worked really well for this team. And I know that there were other parts of Borrego's defense and even some offensive stuff that just wasn't awesome. And I get that LaMelo has been instrumental in getting things going in transition, uh, but you've got to find ways to score, whether that's in the half court or whether that's through transition plays when LaMelo is sitting. So, you know, a lot of this stuff can and should be fixed when LaMelo comes back and gets more games under his belt. But I just wanted to compare last year to the first 14 games of this year. Last season, they were third in the NBA in transition plays. This year, they're only 14th in the frequency of which they run those transition plays. Last year, they were first in the NBA in points per play in transition. This season, they're 24th in points per play. So not only are they not doing it as frequently when they are able to do it, mostly off of steals, uh, they are 24th in the NBA in terms of efficiency. So I I think LaMelo will fix this, and I think they're going to have to find ways to score and transition, get stops, and and get out and go. Uh, But uh, it it just can't all be LaMelo. It can't all be LaMelo. And then the last 
player trend that I would like to point out. And there are other ones that I've been keeping tabs of, like Kelly Oubre's drives. Uh, I think Dennis Smith has been really good at finishing around the rim in the clutch. I've been keeping tabs of as well. But P.J. Washington, this is a guy that is, I wouldn't say polarizing among Hornets fans, but he's very much a niche type of player. And Brian on this podcast is probably the highest on him out of anyone of the four here. And I wouldn't say that I'm not high on P.J. Washington. I think he's got some some skill and some things to tap into. Uh, but there are some signs in which I've kind of soured on him, if that could, that could come off a little bit strong. There are people out there in Hornets Twitter, the Hornets community, that are really, really low on P.J. Washington and his performance. And I probably find myself somewhere in between. But the accuracy from almost everywhere on the court has dipped. He just isn't as an efficient shooter this season. He's been asked to do a little bit more, like we've mentioned before with Oubre and Rozier. So we've seen a little bit a different type of role with him. He's much better suited for a pick-and-pop assisted on three-point shooter than he is off the dribble. We've seen flashes here and there, especially to start the season. That's still a work in progress. And I've made a mention on it on recent podcasts where some of the off-the-dribble stuff just results in ugly-looking shots. But the one thing that I wanted to point out is how his performance over the quarters are just drastic the first three quarters compared to the fourth quarter. And I made a a slight little mention on this on, I think, the previous episode where he's a slow starter. They try to get him early looks through high-low situation, post-ups, try to be a mismatch beater, which he can take advantage of. But for whatever reason, he doesn't necessarily turn it on early. So let me just go through the quarters real quick. First quarter, he averages 3.9 points per quarter on 49.6 true shooting percentage. Second quarter, he averages 1.9 points per quarter on 46.2 true shooting percentage. And then in the third quarter, he averages 3.1 points per quarter on 43.3 true shooting percentage. And the second quarter is a little bit lower there than the first and the third, but he typically plays less minutes in the second quarter than he does in the first and the third. So that could be uh, what's attributing to that dip there. But the biggest issue is just the efficiency, the true shooting percentage being in the mid to low forties. I guess the first quarter he's at 49. Uh, It's just not good enough. I I'd actually consider it poor, but in the fourth quarter, much different story for PJ. He averages 4.8 points, which is a point higher than his first quarter average. And his true shooting percentage, this is where it, it shifts a little bit, 60.8. That That is elite type stuff there in the fourth quarter. Clutch situations, true shooting percentage of 64.7. So it even goes up, even though it's a, a small sample size this year. So I, I know it's early, uh, and this is something that I'm monitoring in terms of how we can turn it on in the fourth quarter. He also has a team-high 26 points in clutch minutes. It's odd that he can perform so well in those final minutes in that final quarter, but I think the consistency over the course of the 48 minutes is really what we're looking for. 
And maybe with LaMelo returning, you know, he can take the load off a little bit in terms of his role, be more of a pick and pop guy, but he's still a ball mover. He's still a guy that you can put the ball in his hands and expect him to make quick, efficient, smart decisions. But the momentum, he just hasn't been able to pick it up this season. And again, he is skilled. He has the ability to score in a variety of ways down in the block from three-point shot, but that just hasn't resulted this much this year in terms of the accuracy, and that has dipped a lot. So, yes, it's only 14 games, but just thought that was an interesting kind of split there when it comes to the first three quarters of the game versus the fourth quarter and the clutch time minutes. Now, it's not resulting in wins, obviously, because the Hornets, like I mentioned, are, are pretty poor when it comes to clutch offense, but he does step up in those types of situations. All right, let's get to the tier portion of the podcast. There is a video version of this, which I will release a little bit later. And so what I did was I took five different tiers, high level, above average, ho-hum, no impact or negative impact, and then the final tier on the bottom just says not enough info. So those are for the players that just haven't played enough to have an impact on the season overall. So what I'm going to do is go one by one with these Hornets players, place them in a tier. I'm hoping that I get them kind of sorted out the correct on the first try and not have to rearrange them. And I'm only basing it on the 14 games. I'm not worried about anything that happened last year or what they're going to do in future games. It is the impact that they've had on this Hornets team. And it's relative, not necessarily relative to the to the rest of the league, but just relative to the roster, where do these players fall? All right, let's first start with the first icon down at the bottom, and that's Dennis Smith Jr., and I'm going to drag him up to the high level. Again, this is all relative to the Hornets roster. Defensively, he's been awesome with his deflections. He's been awesome with his point-of-attack defense. He's just been a guy that has been very impactful on both ends of the court. His shot has definitely faltered a little bit recently, uh, but I think I think what gets overlooked sometimes is his passing ability and his drive and kick game and using that rim pressure to to leverage that. So I will put him at a high level. JT Thor, I'm going to put him in the no slash negative tier here. I He's really had no impact on this team, maybe even negative impact on this team. He is not shooting the ball well. Maybe you can make the case defensively. He's been all right, and I think that's always going to be something that you can point to with JT Thor because of his length. But there's nothing that I can point to offensively right now that he's doing above average or even average. Like he's not shooting the ball well, driving, getting to the rim, not really doing that. I think, obviously, his strength is an issue, and uh, that will have to get better for him to be better, but it's the other stuff that he's just not really converting on right now that puts him in the no impact or the negative impact tier for me. All right, P.J. Washington. I'm going to put him in the ho-hum, right down the middle, average. He's a guy that has potential, can get better, He is someone that is not performing up to his expectations right now. 
He's dipped in pretty much every single shooting category. I think defensively, you're still seeing some good stuff out of him and his versatility there. Uh, but offensively, he is definitely pressing right now. James Booknight. He's going in the no-slash-negative impact tier for the Hornets. There's been spots. I, I think I like to point to his defensive rebounding as, as a bright spot for him. But in terms of most everything else, uh, not seeing a ton. Defensively, we know the issues are there. He's not shooting the ball well. Uh, there's been times in this season where he's taken shots almost instantaneously. And there's been times in the season where he's hesitated a little bit when it comes to, you know, his confidence from shooting the ball. He's got the talent. It just hasn't popped yet, and he hasn't put it all together. So he's in the no-slash-negative impact here. Uh, Gordon Hayward, clearly he's been injured for the past handful of games. But when he was with the team, I'm going to put him in the above-average He's still a guy that I think we're sorely missing his distribution, his ability to calm the offense, to get them into sets, using his ability and his strength as a guy that can be used as a screener. He is physical uh, despite the injury history. He still goes after it. He's done a much better job at finishing around the rim, and he's still a three-level scorer. Obviously, the injury that is... um popped up recently really hasn't affected this yet because you know he's if it was you know game 65 and he's only played 20 games at that point then I think I would drop him but because we're only 14 games into the season and the time that he has been on the court it's been overall like above average I'm gonna keep him right there uh Kai Jones I'm gonna put him in the not enough info Uh, I'm not gonna put him in the negative spot or no, I'm just going to put him in the not enough info. He's not played enough minutes for me. I think overall, you know, maybe if he were to get minutes, he probably would be in that bottom tier of the negative impact. But you just don't know. You don't know. So I'm kind of leaving that open. And we had a conversation about him on the previous podcast in terms of where his minutes are best suited. Is it at the four? Is it at the five? Is it in Charlotte or is it in Greensboro? And I've made my stance known that he is definitely a five on offense. Pick and roll type of big, using his like head of steam to get downhill. If he can do that, we've seen in Vegas that he was impactful. And then defensively, we've seen the flashes with some of the event creation. But I not enough info right now to have an actual impact on this team. Teo Maladon. That's where I'm debating. I'm going to go with the ho-hum. I think recently, probably no impact, uh, but to start the season, he was kind of teetering between above average and ho-hum. I think one of the most underrated things about him is his ability to set up his teammates. I think that gets overlooked at times. His three-point shot has dipped recently, but he started off pretty strong. So I'm going to keep him right there with P.J. and that ho-hum. Clearly, P.J. is expected to do more than Teo Maladon. But right now, if I were to just kind of take a step back in terms of the overall impact on the season, he's not much farther behind P.J. when it comes to his role and his impact this season. Uh, We have uh, Cody Martin. He's going in the not enough info. He's played, what, one minute? So uh, not going to talk too much about Cody. 
Uh, Jalen McDaniels, I'm going to go with the above average. Above average here next to Gordon Hayward. I think he's played well. I think he's played well. You know, there have been games where he hasn't shot the ball well, but he's always done it within the flow of the offense. He's not taking the team out of the game because he is rushing shots, taking it early in the offense. It's been after a couple passes. It's been after the defense has moved a little bit. And he himself has been a very active player in terms of moving off ball, cutting, getting inside, trying to get offensive rebounds. The efficiency hasn't always been there, but I think what he is doing on both ends of the court has been above average when it comes to the impact. Uh, Kelly Oubre, I'm also going to put in the above average. I think he's been pleasantly surprising uh, in terms of the way that he's played. Obviously, he's had a bigger role this season, but he's shooting the ball pretty steadily. He's getting to the rim more often. That seems to be a point of emphasis with him. So I'm going to put him in the above average spot. Nick Richards. I'm actually going to put him in the high level next to DSJ. Now, I would like to see him play more minutes. I would like to see him play closer to 23, 24 minutes a game. But when he was out there, he's been awesome in terms of the pick and roll big. He's been awesome in terms of getting positioning down low. Offensive rebounding has been his biggest asset for this team. And defensively, uh, he's erased some shots at the rim as well. So for the time that he's been out there, I think he's made a high-level impact for this team. Terry Rozier, I'm going to go above average tier. And I did mention before that you know, his shooting has not been the greatest in terms of, you know, some of the efficiency numbers. And one thing that I've been keeping an eye on with Terry Rozier is his mid-range shot over the past couple of years. Not necessarily his first year in Charlotte, but those next two have been very, very good. This year, he's not got it online yet, but I'm hoping that does. And I'm hoping that with the return of LaMelo Ball, that some of that effort and energy can be better expended off ball. So still think overall, like just the way that he's competed, the way that he's scored, he's on an upward trend right now. He was teetering probably between ho-hum and above average, but I will bump him up there with uh, Kelly Oubre, McDaniels, Gordon Hayward. And then LaMelo Ball, I'm going to put him in the not enough info category. I think we're fully expecting him to be at the high level, but because he's only played one game in the regular season, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's been that impactful for the team and the way that they played this season. I guess the only icon that I forgot to put here was Mason Plumley. So for the purposes of the video, you're not going to see Mason Plumley's image, but if I were to tier him, I would definitely put him in the above average range. He does get a little bit too much criticism at times. I do think that there are some limitations with him offensively, and he's a very much an east-west mover, doesn't create a lot of pressure at the rim, but he can set up teammates for back cuts and very underrated passer. And obviously he takes the ball up the court a little bit too much for people's taste, which for me, it's the same as well. But here's how I'm going to tier them. 
If you're looking at the video, you can see the icons, but I'm going to go ahead and recap what I did. High level, I have DSJ and Nick Richards. Above average, I have Gordon Hayward, Jalen McDaniels, Kelly Oubre, Terry Rozier, and the image is not there, but Mason Plumley as well. So that's where most players fall. Again, it's all relative. In the ho-hum category, I have PJ Washington and Teo Maladon. And in terms of no impact or negative impact, I have JT Thor and James Booknight. And then the not enough info category, I've got Kai Jones, Cody Martin, and LaMelo Ball. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And like I mentioned, I will get that video out probably on our Substack at some point after this podcast is released. And I appreciate you guys tuning in for another BuzzBeat episode. We appreciate all the support and I hope you guys have a good one. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.